0: TheWellnessCouch.com, Streaming wellness into your lives Welcome to a place of wellness and healing For both your body and mind Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life That totally rocks You're listening to Shiny Healthy You The straight-talking natural health show for busy women With your host and naturopath Jules Galloway Today's guest on Shiny Healthy You is a friend of mine from the blogging world. We met online and we bonded over a mutual love of whole foods and healthy desserts. With her Italian background, she's all about the food and the family. Through her own family's health challenges, she's delved into different ways of eating and done loads of research into the best way to nourish her little tribe. She's also a bit of a legend when it comes to healthy breakfasts with her own range of epic granola. But at the end of the day, what really lights her fire is developing recipes, photographing food and teaching people like you and I to cook. And she's bloody amazing at it. So please welcome to the show, the very lovely Kristen Cosgrove, aka Mama Woo!
1: Hi, Jules. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) You like your intro?
1: (laughs) What an intro. I just thought, wow, she's just, I could probably write that down and use that as a new um, promotional material or something. Made me sound fantastic. Thank you. Well,
0: stick it on your About page after the show. (laughs) Yes. Sounds good. Hey, Now, I really, really want to chat to you today all about the food, so I think we should just have a little warning for our listeners out there. Um, You're going to get hungry by the end of this. Sorry. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I tend to get a bit carried away when we talk about food.
0: (laughs) I know, and we both love food, so this could go anywhere over the next 30 to 40 minutes. But tell me first up, were you always an amazing cook, or is this like learned behavior later on?
1: No, I definitely was not an amazing cook. Um, I didn't come from a long line of home cooks. Um, my, my grandfather and my father and everybody in my family um, worked at some point in the family business, which was a fresh fruit and vegetable stall at South Melbourne Market in Melbourne here. So we had access to amazing food. Um, We had an abundance of fruit and vegetables all the time. Um, You know, my brothers and I would have visitors come over, friends would drop in and would just be, you know, astounded at this array of boxes of mangoes and cherries and things that would line our kitchen bench that was pretty normal to us but not to them. We also were exposed to – a lot of food by being in the market. um, You know, the Continental Deli, I can remember my dad on a Saturday afternoon would bring home a box with cheese and olives and salami and, you know, sourdough bread long before it was popular or fashionable. And so we were exposed to all of that kind of food from a really young age. So even though we loved food, we weren't sort of taught to cook really. My mum didn't love cooking. We She had four children and she fed us all very well, um, but she wasn't really a home cook as such. So when I moved out of home at about um, 21, I went to live in Sydney. Um, I very quickly realised that the food that I was eating was not really serving me. So, you know, living on sort of the good old white carbs, pasta, bread, cereal, all that kind of thing. So I began to make this connection that the food that I was eating and the way I was feeling in my body, you know, wasn't really adding up. And I can remember one year my husband gave me for Christmas the very first um, edition of Jamie Oliver's cookbook, The Naked Chef, so when it just first came out. And I can remember sitting down um, in the lounge room while sort of Christmas Day was going on around me, just completely um, entranced by this book and the idea of making your own pasta from scratch and, and getting together, um, you know, a pantry full of terrific stores and and things like that. And I read that cookbook from cover to cover. And um, when I got home to my own apartment, I just could not wait to start cooking. And um, I think that's that's the point in my life where I actually developed a real love and real interest for cooking as well as a love for food.
0: Yeah, it's funny when you find a cookbook or a cookbook author who resonates with you. It's like, then you just want all the cookbooks and do all the things, don't you? Because um, I know, yes. yeah, There's there's been a few in, in my – I loved Jamie as well actually because he's, he's got such amazing fresh food but um, there's been a few in the past that once I've, you know, found one book with one, you know, one chef or one person, it's like I want everything else that they've written. I want all their recipes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For me now, I still – take cookbooks to bed with me and read them from cover to cover. Um, I love the food, but I also love the stories that come along. I think people that love food love life. And I think the best cookbooks are the ones that tell you about the journey along the way and the stories and how, you know, food and family and connection and tradition and culture and experience and life all come together. And I think that that is what actually inspires us to cook and, you know, to eat and to feed others and to share food. Yeah. So they're my favourite types of cookbooks.
0: That, mm. that quote's going on Instagram, mate, people who love food love life. I love that. Yeah. That is the best <laughs> 'Cause yeah, I'm a food lover, so it's like, yeah, life, yeah, woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so totally. It's
1: more it's so much more than the food, yeah.
0: Oh, totally. And you have a massive love for Italian flavours. So tell me about you know, where that came from.
1: I do. My grandfather is from Sicily, but he had lived in Australia um for such a long time and during a time where it really was not popular to be Italian. Um, so he was taught by his family to blend in and to assimilate and be Australian as quickly as possible. So he lost a lot of his culture and a lot of his language Um but something happened when I was born that I just had this love of Italy from from right from the beginning, and felt a real connection to that, and was always really passionately curious about my grandfather and his life and where he had come from, um, and Italian food, of course, was always my favourite, and was probably the type of food that my mum did cook at home as well. Um, so through the years, I've always been really interested in learning about italian food and flavors because i find that it's it's simple food to cook it's the um they call it the cucina povera which is Poor food, the poor people's food, because it's simple and it's whole food and it's put together in a way that accentuates beautiful seasonal fresh produce and you know is able to make that flavoursome and filling and nourishing. Um, and that's the type of food that appeals to me. So uh, about six years ago, we were very lucky to spend about fourteen weeks in Italy and um, we visited Sicily and we also stayed in Rome and in Tuscany and. Um, at that time, I really fell hard for Italian food and Italian life really it's the whole it's the whole thing it's the way that they live their life um celebrating each moment um and food is such a big part of part of that for them so um ever since then, I've been experimenting learning more. I was very lucky to have another trip to Rome this year. I spent um almost three weeks in Rome um in their summer, so our July, and, and um, I just completely fell in love with Roman cooking, and just couldn't wait to get home and start exploring and cooking more Roman food um, for myself and my family. So yeah, it's been a long, a long love affair for me with Italian food, and um, I think it's just because we have this wonderful connection between um, seasonal, fresh produce healthy, simple ingredients, cooking it with love and sharing it with family. And um, there's no cuisine in the world that does it better than the Italians, I don't think.
0: Yeah. And I've I've had guests on this show before that they have always mentioned this cooking with love. Like I've had Lunch Lady Lou on here and she talks about cooking with love. And I know that something with love makes the food taste so much better it really does if you're cooking with intention and if you're mindfully cooking it changes the food somehow yeah
1: yes i agree i couldn't agree more it becomes alchemy when you cook food with love and you are present and mindful and you're doing it with an open heart with the spirit of sharing and the spirit of love Um, that's when magical meals are made definitely
0: yeah, totally. And I love what you said about the poor people's food, the cochina Provera, because it's, it's, that's sort of what we're moving back to now in so many ways. Like suddenly you've got bone broth on menus in fancy places and, you know, mm-hmm. slow cooked meals with, you know, cheaper cuts of meat cooked for long amounts of time are suddenly like the thing that everyone's doing. And it's funny that somewhere in the middle there, we just lost all of that. We've forgotten so much, haven't we?
1: Yes, yes, it is. It's um, it's a cycle. I think. I mean, I think fashion is plays a part in food as well. You know, things go in and out of fashion. Um, you know, we see that all the time, especially now with the internet. You know, super ingredients and all of this sort of thing come and go. But I think ultimately, what we go back to is simple cooking, and and knowing what to do with certain ingredients. You know, those things haven't changed. There's nothing new about bone broth. There's nothing new about slow cooking, cheaper cuts of meat to make delicious food. Um, and I think that we're starting to see this real return to that, this real return to this getting back to basics kind of mentality about food, um, because people are becoming more aware of what they're eating and what they're feeding a family. And, um, are happy to put in time to learn these traditions and these skills once again.
0: Yeah. So how do you how do you start out there and like where did you I know you got the Jamie Oliver book. Then what did you do next? Like you mentioned that you have to put in a bit of time to get the skill set up. What what's the next step?
1: Well I just started cooking. I think just do it. You know, you don't have to feel that there's anything Complicated about cooking, it's just food. And do you do know what, Jules, if you make a mistake, it's not a big deal. I mean, maybe your husband has to eat it and he might not be too happy about it, but that's okay. It's just one meal, you know, put that behind you and move on. There's really nothing that can go terribly wrong. Um, so I encourage people just to start trying. For me, I sort of find a recipe that I really wanted to make. Um, and then I practice it for a while. So I try and make it my own. So I remember one of the first things that I made when I, um, moved out of home was lasagna. Actually, my mum used to make a great lasagna and I decided that I wanted to know how to make that myself. So I would practice, it sounds so simple, but I would practice making a bolognese sauce and I would practice lasagna and I would invite all my friends over to eat this lasagna. And I think, um, you know, probably for about the first two years, that's all anybody ever got when they came to my house. But <laughs> over time I made that recipe my own and um, you know, then I would add to it and I would come up with different variations. I might do a vegetarian lasagna or I might experiment with putting more veggies in the sauce or I might, you know, that sort of thing. So for me it's just sort of mastering one thing and then making it your own and and, and changing it. And um I talk about that a lot as well. People often say, Oh, you know, you make all this food and it's, oh, you know, you're doing something different every day. And I'm not, I do probably during the week, I have a repertoire of about five to 10 recipes, but I call them my master recipes. So I've learned how to cook them really, really well. And then all I do is I change the way I serve them. I might change the use of herbs and spices to change the flavors around. So, you know, my family think they're actually getting something different all the time, but it's really just the same master recipe served up in a different way to, to add variation and, and, you know, be a bit creative. But that's how I – um. You know, that's how I'm efficient in the kitchen. You know, I'm a busy mum as well and I work and I have a business, so I can't be reinventing the wheel all the time. I I find out what works for me. I learn to cook it well and then I get creative and think about different ways I can present it or change the flavours or change the experience of eating it. And then when I've found something that works, I stick with it. <laughs>
0: I'm just sitting here giggling, actually, because um, I remember. You know, I've been I've been with James for 18 years. Um, we've been married 16 years, and so you know, we we used to eat different things back when we we first yeah. started going out. And I remember he used to make beans on toast, and then he got sick of doing beans on toast, so then he did toast on beans. <laughs> <laughs> Game changer.
1: Woo. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's great. That is really good. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's one way to to do it. You know, I think um that we all get a bit overwhelmed with this idea that we have to be amazing cooks and we have to have huge repertoires and healthy food is scary or overwhelming. It's it's actually not. It's it's really simple and we just have to remember that and um and make it fun.
0: I think also uh, there's also that you need to give yourself permission to fail. Like, you need to give yourself permission to turn out a meal that's not restaurant quality. Like, it's okay to screw it up a little bit. Like you said, they'll probably still eat it. They'll probably still like it. But I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make everything perfect every time. And it's like, geez, you're not a restaurant. Absolutely. Absolutely
1: you're not a restaurant and who wants to be, you know, I don't, I I don't want my kids getting fussy and start demanding, starting to demand, you know, restaurant quality meals. Um, I think for me, that's where gratitude comes in as well. We are incredibly lucky and incredibly blessed in this country to have access to amazing ingredients, healthy produce, clean produce um, and an abundance of it. So, I think it sort of defeats the purpose aiming for perfection. You know, um, the fact that we can feed our families beautiful, healthy food and as much of it really as we wish, that's, that's where the perfection lies. You know, we are just so lucky. So whatever we do with the food, whether we're creating a beautiful recipe out of it or we're just assembling it and serving it, that's totally okay. We just need to be grateful for what we get to share.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you're right about the fresh produce as well. Like if you're working with super fresh, beautiful produce, then you don't need to do that much to it. No, that's right.
1: I don't I that's I try and keep my cooking really, really simple and just let the ingredients speak for themselves.
0: Yeah. So what are your go-to family meals now? Like what would be your top three or say your top five, the ones that are on high rotation, the ones that you have mm-hmm. to serve differently sometimes to keep the attention?
1: Yeah. Okay. So well, definitely, I probably almost every week I'll do a bolognese sauce. So this is my opportunity to really get, um, protein into my kids. I use beautiful grass fed quality beef that I source locally, which I'm very lucky. There's a farm not too far from here that sells wonderful quality meat. Um, And I cook it with, you know, bone broth and tomatoes and lots and lots of vegetables. I put heaps of veggies into my bolognese sauce and I cook it for hours and hours on the stovetop so it's rich and really delicious and all of those vegetables kind of collapse into the sauce and are unrecognisable. So um, (laughs) that's one thing, but I don't always serve it with pasta. Occasionally I'll serve it with some gluten-free spaghetti, but I'd make lots of other things with that as well. I might make it into, you know, little tacos or nachos for the kids or last night we had that with um I made cauliflower mashed potatoes and put it on top for like a sort of a a grain-free paleo style cottage pie um that's definitely one thing that I make all the time I've also got a baked chicken dish that I do often so I'll buy my um, chickens whole and then I get Cosy <laughs> to portion them up. I've tried to do it once before, but I'm not a great butcher. So I usually leave this job to Cozzy and he cuts them up into sort of eight or ten pieces, um, and then I marinate them with olive oil and lemon and herbs, and then we bake it in the oven and serve it either with salad or with roast potatoes or um, – you know, veggies, that sort of thing. Sometimes I'll make a double batch and have some left over for lunches to go in the kids, you know, snack box. And I'll change around the herbs that I use. So if I want to go for a bit of a Greek vibe, I'll do more the lemon and oregano, or, you know, sometimes I'll go more Italian and I'll use parsley and chili and lots of garlic and that sort of thing. Um, and then I, I keep the carcasses and they go straight into the chicken stock. So that's an easy one that I make all the time as well. Um, What else do we do? I'll usually have a big pot of beans cooking um, on my stove. So I'll I'll cook some white beans, navy beans or something like that, and they'll go into either my minestrone soup or they might go into like um, a bean and veggie hot pot sort of a thing like a a baked beans or – zesty kind of chili beans like a chili con carne and we'll use that to make um baked eggs perhaps or we might use it just on toast on a Sunday night the kids might just have that with um you know some avocado on toast or that sort of thing it's a you know we can have it for brekkie um or for lunch or for dinner whatever so that's another thing that I've often got on the go so those are the sort of things that are on high rotation in my
0: kitchen definitely damn woman I wish I lived near you <laughs> I'm on my way I'm on my way I'm getting in the car now
1: I wish I wish I lived near you probably more to the point Joel. Oh,
0: <laughs> we've put, had that conversation before I know you need to move up here and then I could put you in <laughs> in charge of dinner and I'll do the dessert how's that sound that sounds perfect <laughs> So really good so tell me, I know once once you started cooking in a in a whole food way and in a, in a making things from scratch way, that, that wasn't where it ended because I know you just um, mentioned paleo and you mentioned gluten-free and I'd love you to chat with our listeners about the health challenges that both you and your family have faced and how food became a part of that because I know your daughters had pyrol disorder, um, which, of course, is close to my heart because I have it too, and you guys went through gaps. How did that go?
1: We did. We, we went through gaps not in the conventional way. So I guess going back, my whole food journey intensified when Frankie was born. She's my second daughter, and um, it was very clear from a very early age that something wasn't right health-wise with Francesca. And um, she would, you know, be in pain a lot. She had a terribly distended tummy. Um, She would not sleep very often at all. Um, And, you know, as a new mum, I knew immediately something was wrong, but it took me a long time to really get to the bottom of it. And it wasn't actually until she was 18 months old and I demanded, actually, some (laughs) allergy testing, some food testing with my naturopath, that we found out that she had severe intolerances to wheat, soy, nuts, dairy, and fish. So for the first 18 months of her life, I had been feeding her the very foods that were making her very sick. And that was a heartbreaking moment for me. I really... um, broke down and really was very, very upset and cried and cried and cried for about an hour and then I picked myself up and I thought, well, there's really only a way to address that and that's fix this problem. So I started researching and finding out more and more about how I could help Francesca um, and we started with eliminating those things from her diet. So finding out a way to feed an 18-month-old without Wheat or without dairy and without nuts, soy, and fish was easy because we didn't eat a lot of fish anyway. Um, at that stage, we, were still have, we still had quite a lot of processed food in our diet, even though I would have said then that I thought it was the healthy kind of stuff. Um, and once you find out you have these food intolerances and you go to the supermarket and you start looking at ingredients lists on things, you realize that it's in everything this sort of soy I couldn't believe soy I would have said soy we don't even have soy but what I realized was that yes we do because it's in everything it's in all processed food so that's really where the back to basics make it from scratch process started seriously Um, over the years uh, we found out that just eliminating those foods from Francesca's diet was it did help a lot but it wasn't it wasn't fixing the problem completely. Um, She still had symptoms. She still had um, terrible IBS kind of symptoms, I guess is what you might call them, you know, tummy issues. And when she started school at six, she also started getting a lot of anxiety and um, phobias and sort of mental symptoms were happening as well. So I tried every naturopath, doctor, nutritionist, dietitian, chiropractor. I even went to a fortune teller at one point. I thought I had tried everybody. Um, And one day a lady recommended to me a holistic GP. um, And I thought, well, this is my last effort. This is, I don't know what to do after this. So I went to see her. That's when Frankie had some testing and we found out about the pyroles. So being able to have that diagnosis helped so much because it gave us um, some steps to take. It enabled us to create a plan and to manage Francesca's health quirks um, in a way that was going to best suit her. And food was definitely a big part of that. But, of course, as you know, there there was more to the picture. So food became a really important part of the health and well-being management plan for my family, a really actual integral part. So we started seeing lots of improvement for Francesca um, over the next couple of years until last year. We i just sort of had this feeling that, I don't know, we weren't really progressing. Things weren't really changing, even though we were doing all of this work for our health and well-being. We weren't really getting to sort of the best healthy state that I thought was possible for our family. So we went back to the GP and she suggested to us that it might be worth looking at, um, parasites. So we all, the whole family got tested for parasites and we discovered that we all had them. So this is what was sort of holding us back in our journey to healing. So, um, we had some long discussions and we decided in the end that it was best for our family to treat these parasites with antibiotics. So you can treat parasites naturally. It's a lengthy process. It's complicated and it's a bit um You can get good results in some cases, same as everything. Everybody's so different. You just don't know. So with us, we decided to go for the antibiotics because we have been living such a healthy lifestyle for so long. Um, We thought this might be the best way to really hit them hard and try and move on from this problem. So with that and doing a bit of research, I, of course, came – to the conclusion that, you know, gut health was going to play a really big role in this. Um, And I had been researching gut health and I had really been dancing around the GAPS diet for a couple of years. So I was well aware of it. And um, anytime, you know, anybody mentioned the G word, I just kind of quietly disappeared (laughs) from the room because I was really scared to do it. I was really thinking, oh my God, this is just going to be too much. So I um, went to see my gorgeous naturopath and I said okay we're going to do this antibiotics try and get rid of these parasites what else can we do to really support ourselves here what can we do to give ourselves the best chance of this treatment being successful and protecting our bodies at the same time and you know making sure we're as strong as possible and looking really looking after our gut while we have these antibiotics and um Beck mentioned to us that we should really consider going on the GAPS diet. So we did the full GAPS diet for about 12 weeks, um, pre and post antibiotics. We wanted to just really um, make it as easy as possible for our bodies to work well in as terms of the digestive system. And we wanted to really not give those little nasty parasites any kind of party food to be enjoying while we were trying to get rid of them. <laughs> So we had a very, very clean diet and um, followed the principles of the full GAPS diet for the time um, po- prior to, during, and a little bit after we did that antibiotic treatment. And we ended up being successful in getting rid of that parasite. So that was great. It was
0: all well worth it in the end. That's fantastic. And and I love how you've taken a little bit from the medical world and then a little bit from the other side of the fence and blended it all together for like the best possible outcome.
1: Yeah, we have. And um, look, it, there's no one way for everybody to do this, as you know. So you have to be open, I think, to hearing from all sides Um, about what they have to contribute that what might help you and then you just have to make the best decision you can at the time with the knowledge and information that you have um, to move forward so that's what we do
0: and can we give your gorgeous naturopath down there a shout out because i'm always getting people asking where the good naturopaths are so who was this lovely person
1: yeah, I see Rebecca Winkler at um, Free of Life. Do you know? I think you know Beck, don't you? I went through college with Beck. That's right. Yes, <laughs> yes, she awesome. told me that. Yeah, yeah, she's wonderful. So she's in Janjak and um, and so fantastic with kids, and especially anything to do with gut health or um, fertility or anything like that. She's, she's wonderful.
0: Yeah. If you are down that way in Melbourne along the surf coast or even if you're not along the surf coast, she's worth the drive. She really is.
1: Yeah, and she does Skype too, so Skype consultations as well. She has a website. You can look her up at Tree of Life Natural Health and
0: Fertility. Yay. Hi, Beck, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, she's
0: a beautiful person. All she right. is. So you did the GAPS. And then what happened? Yeah. Then what? Back onto what sort of diet are you guys kind of following now?
1: We are back onto just a whole food diet. We do um, especially Francesca. My other two children don't have any sort of food intolerances or anything, so I guess I'm a little bit more flexible with them. But at home, generally speaking, we still kind of follow a GAPSy kind of diet. Um, We stay fairly gluten-free. We have a little bit of cheese, things like hard cheeses, you know, pecorino romano, reggiano, all that sort of stuff, Um, a little bit of homemade yogurt. So we're not completely dairy-free, but we're pretty much gluten-free. We don't really put a label to what we eat because we just sort of take it as it comes and we try and do the best job we can, sticking with a whole food diet um, as often as we can. But, um, you know, if we go out to somebody's house, we're very, very – Happy to eat whatever we're served um and enjoy it and um just get back on the healthy food train the next day when we get home,
0: yeah, I love it, love it. It's all about balance as long as you're conscious, totally about, yeah, yeah now tell me i I don't have kids, so I want your advice on this because i get <laughs> I get this a lot, concerned mums, and I know you have a book that's all about kids' parties. And mm-hmm. I know when people are trying to get their kids onto sort of gluten-free or paleo or whatever it is they're doing for their family's health, the wheels fall off when they go to these parties and there's so many birthday parties that seem to be just happening almost every weekend sometimes. So yeah. there's so much sugar, there's preservatives, there's food colorings, and all that kind of malarkey going on and then there's the inevitable meltdowns after yeah. After the food's consumed, have fun? Not fun. <laughs> <laughs> have you got some survival tips? Oh yes, I
1: do. Because this is something that I guess I've been a bit vocal on in the past. Um, I have a real, a real issue with kids' party food. Um, I don't think our kids are born with an innate knowledge of what party food is. So I think that we teach them that. Um, I don't think they're born saying, Mum, we want blue cupcakes and red snakes and pink lemonade for our birthday party because they don't know what that kind of food is. So we choose As adults, we choose as the grown-ups what the party food is going to be. And I think that the responsibility lies with us. And for me, if I'm inviting a whole heap of kids over to my house, especially if it's over a meal time, I feel, you know, a responsibility to kind of look after them and nourish them with food that, yeah, sure, go for the treats. um, but there's it's so easy to do it in a whole food way these days, you know, leave the sort of $2 packets of lollies from the reject shop for somebody else. You know, you don't need that kind of stuff. Kids just don't need that kind of stuff. And it does result in um, meltdowns for lots of kids, probably for all of them really at some level. Um, So, you know, it's just it's not necessary. But however, I know, and, you know, especially when it's every weekend, I think the argument generally is, oh, but it's just, you know, it's her birthday, it's just a special occasion, it's just a treat. But, you're right, these days kids are going to parties sometimes two or three in a weekend, nearly every weekend, which is wonderful. It's great that they have a terrific social life. But for me, um, I don't want my kids to be eating that kind of food on a continuous basis. Um, you also don't want to be in the position where your child never gets invited to another birthday party because, you know, the mum's the healthy mum who always has something to say about the food that's being served. So it's, it's a delicate balance. So what I do is, and what works for my kids, is I give them a really good meal before they go to a party. So I always make sure they have a big filling brekkie with lots of protein, lots of good fats to sort of keep them going. Um... And then when they get to the party, I don't put any restrictions on what they choose to eat. I let them decide for themselves. But we do a lot of talking at home about um, the way food makes our bodies feel. So we don't really talk about good food or bad food, but we do talk about how our bodies make us feel. And if someone overloads on sugary lollies at a party and comes home with a ache and endless trips to the toilet and is feeling very cranky. um, We just help them make that connection between the food that they've chosen and the way that it's making their bodies feel. And um, look, you know, nine times out of 10, my kids will go back the next week and probably go straight to the foods that, you know, didn't make them feel so crash hot the week before. But eventually over time, They're starting to learn about healthier choices and just not overdoing it. So, you know, they might choose a couple of things um, but not go crazy. So I think it's just, you know, setting healthy foundations, not being over the top. I mean, I definitely do not want to ever do anything that creates anxiety or guilt around food, you know, that is completely the opposite to what I'm about. So for me, food is definitely about celebration and about sharing Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate when you turn up to a kid's party and all that is on offer is really unhealthy, processed, sort of chemical-laden, preservative-laden food. Um, But you just have to take it day by day and hope that your kids make good choices Um, And if they don't, come home and put them in a big um, magnesium salt bath and (laughs) help them (laughs) detox, send them to bed early with lots of water to drink.
0: (laughs) I love it. Feed them beforehand then dunk them in the bath afterwards.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) It's funny, though, that I I just had a bit of a light bulb go off when you were talking about how there's like this party-specific Food, and that must really rub you up the wrong way in terms of your Italian heritage because I'm pretty sure like back there and then there wouldn't be separate food for a party. There'd just be good food and more of it. Yes. Yeah,
1: and in my experience, I'm actually a primary school teacher as well, and in my experience kids don't really go to parties to eat. They go to parties to play. And so, you know, the food's kind of a bonus. So, you know, I don't think that we need to go over the top, a big fruit platter, maybe some veggies and dip and crackers and a cake. That's all you need, maybe a bag of plain chips or, you know, something like that if you want to do that or, you know, you maybe some homemade sausage rolls or some little sandwiches. Like it's not, you don't have to provide, you know, tablefuls of food. For kids' parties and table foods of sweets, because there's going to be a birthday cake, so my my tip to parents is have it have it for morning tea or afternoon tea don't have it for lunch, <laughs> and then you can get away with a big fruit platter and a cake, and pretty much that's all you need. everybody's happy with that so um, and that makes it easier
0: on the mums as well. yeah, I love that that's great advice now, while we're on the subject of kids also. <laughs> How do you get your kids to eat something they're not used to if you're transitioning from a you know, a different style of eating to say a gluten free or a dairy free or even a paleo diet?
1: Yeah. Um I hear this a lot. Um with the work I do with Mama Chino, I hear a lot from parents of fussy eaters. And I know that it's that it's difficult. It's not it's a real very real problem that people face. Um My personal way of dealing with it is I'm probably a lot stricter than others might be. Um, I can be tough with my kids. Um, My view is that if I'm going to go to the trouble of preparing a beautiful meal from scratch and cooking and providing my family with that something delicious to eat, they might not like it every time. And, you know, please don't think my kids sit up and eat every bite of food I place in front of them. They don't. Um, But I expect everybody to have a go of it. And I expect them to show respect and gratitude for the person that's provided that food for them. So it's really teaching them about that. Um, In our family, the rule is you have to have a go. Um, You don't have to eat Your dinner. I don't sort of force everybody to finish their plate. It's up to you how much you eat, but everybody has to have a go, a good go. Um, There's certainly no dessert if you don't eat your dinner um, or anything like that. So I'm I'm fairly tough, and I find that being consistent really helps. So um, I talk about this thing, a fussy eater's management plan. So you sort of have to get your story straight as well. So if you're transitioning to a new way of eating in your home, whether it be going off gluten because that's an ingredient that's not serving your family and that you have to do that, or whether you're just trying to transition to a healthier way of eating and, you know, include more vegetables and things like that in your diet. um, The key is for me to know where you stand. So if I'm making something and I think, oh yeah, okay, I reckon one of my kids isn't going to like this much. What's going to be my response when they kick up a bit of a fuss, you know, and I talked to my husband about that and we get our story straight. So we know what the rules are. We say, okay, we've got to be united in this. If, um, you know, Leonardo just doesn't like meat very much, but we know for our family protein is a really important part of our, of feeling good in our bodies. Um, so we have to, we say, Oh well, he's not going to want to eat this. What are we going to do? So we, we already know in advance what our answer is going to be when he kicks up a bit of a fuss and says, I'm not going to eat this. And I can just say, well, that's fine, Leo. You don't have to eat it, but you need to know that there's nothing else after that. That's all there is tonight. Yeah. Um, And my husband will say the same thing and we'll say the same thing again tomorrow night and the next night. So, you know, the rules don't change. It's not like one minute we're saying you have to eat your tea and then the next minute we're saying, oh, but don't worry, I'll make you some toast if you're hungry afterwards. Or, you know, we're pretty consistent and we're actually pretty strict. And um, when we did the GAPS diet, I was blown away. It took about one week for my kids to be tucking into food that I never imagined that they would eat. Um, no one really ever got the hang of drinking bone broth, but I would make <laughs> lots of soup soup and things, you know, um, with full of bone broth and lots of healing sort of foods, um, lots and lots of veggies, no bread or anything like that, which they were used to having. Um, it only took about a week. And then there was no more complaints, no more fuss. Everybody just sat up to the table. And um, I do truly believe that after that experience, my kids are better eaters for it.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually seen cases where kids become unfussy after taking them off certain foods and i've had i've had mums say to me you can't take him off gluten and dairy that's all he eats is like bread and pasta and cheese and milk that's all he eats he won't eat anything else and i'm like they're the things you need to stop so you know in order Mm -hmm. for him to get better so they would do it eventually and what we found is the gluten and the dairy that that these little people were eating were actually causing stomach discomfort and intestinal discomfort. And what that meant is they felt so full and so bloated in the tummy that they didn't want to try any other foods because they they just wanted to stick to what they knew. And once we took away the things that were actually causing the the stomach discomfort, then suddenly the kids started eating all these new things. And it was like, what? It's amazing.
1: I know. And I don't, you would know more about the scientific reasons than I, but for some reason, our body does seem to crave those very foods that don't make us feel so great, you know? So um, even though they're feeling distended in the tummy and, and uncomfortable and bloated, you still want to keep going back to those kind of foods. It's really odd. But once you cut them out of the diet, and start introducing more um, colourful foods, I guess is one way to put it, um, the taste buds do tend to change and um, the kids do seem to open up and be be more receptive to eating a whole host of different foods.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I've seen it over and over and, and it's fascinating when it happens.
1: Yeah, you you have to be strong I think as a parent. You know, at the end of the day, most parents work these days. You get home, you prepare a meal, you know, someone doesn't want to eat it. You've got to go through that whole emotional draining, you know, sort of scenario of fighting with your children to eat some, you know, to eat something. And um people just don't want to do that. We want to avoid that. And I don't blame them because it's exhausting, but I think at the end of the day we just have to keep remembering why we're doing it you know we want the best for our kids we want to set healthy foundations for them um and trying to remember that it does get easier you know it does get easier we just have to be consistent and persistent with it
0: yeah and you've got a new program which really is in line with this theme as well isn't it it's called real food essentials is that right yeah that's
1: right um Look, over the last 10 years, I feel like I've learned so much um, coming from a place where I really didn't cook very much at all to now being a passionate home cook um, and loving to feed my family Um, and also being in a position where I'm talking to other busy mums every day and they're telling me that, you know, they just they're overwhelmed with the amount of information they're getting, they're... um, Concerned that they just haven't got enough time in the day to cook healthy food. People definitely have the perception that healthy food is more expensive um, and that, you know, you do have to deal with things like kids not wanting to eat it and, um, and that sort of thing. So I wanted to really address that and share everything that I have learned about maintaining a whole food diet. Um, you know, for the long term. It's not about just doing it perfectly for one week. It's about learning skills and recipes that you can add to your repertoire and can just help you to do this sort of more over the long term, saving money, saving time, um, and making it easier, easier for mums and easier for families to to have a whole food diet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And where can people find out more about this amazing program?
1: Yes, so it's all on my website, mamachino.com. At the moment, I have a little gift for anybody that signs up to the Mamachino community via my website. I will send them my real food essentials checklist. So that's kind of like a sneak peek into the course and what it's all about. And it's a 10-point checklist. It's a great resource. You can print it out, stick it on the fridge, and it makes um, keeping on this sort of healthy way of eating so much easier. So I talk about how to deal with fussy eaters, how to create a master recipe, um, how to even simplify your pantry. Because for me, that was such a big one, just setting my kitchen up for whole food success and simplifying my my pantry and cleaning out anything that I don't use and just having really beautiful things that I do want to use available to me was like a life-changing moment. So I know it sounds simple, but I go through all of these things in the course and they're all listed on my Real Food Essentials checklist as well. So it gives people a, a really great insight into what the course is all about.
0: I love that. I think Pantry overwhelm should be a hashtag, I swear. Like pantry overwhelm is what stops people from getting started.
1: I think so. Yeah, no, I really do. I really do. And when I began GAPS, I was overwhelmed. Um, So I cleaned out my whole pantry, took everything out and put back only the things that I was able to use while I was on that diet. And it just, it changed. Going into the kitchen became a joy. I actually really looked forward to cooking rather than just being overwhelmed and thinking that it was all so heavy. So, yeah, that is a really great strategy.
0: Yeah, and being able to open that pantry door and knowing that you can eat every single thing that you lay your eyes on is a game changer. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and having it within easy reach, like even just, you know, pulling things down to a, a level that you can reach rather than having to get out the step ladder and climb up the mm-hmm. top and it's behind this and you've got things falling out on top of you. And, you know, just this, that sort of thing makes such a huge difference. You want to make your time in the kitchen easy and efficient as easy as possible.
0: Yeah, totally. Now, no interview with you darling would be complete without a little quick chat about the granola. Tell me about the granola. I, I, we love the granola. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Well, my granola started, I did at one point a couple of years ago have a stall at my local farmer's market and we made all of our own beautiful whole food treats and snacks and we sold them. And one of the most popular things was the granola. So it's a grain-free granola that we make and it was just exactly the one that I would make at home for my family, Um, not having found one that I was happy with commercially, I just decided to make my own. So it developed a bit of a life of its own and it became really, really popular and people down here in Torquay and on the surf coast loved it and embraced it. So about 12 months ago um, I started working in collaboration with La Madra Bakery, which is an award-winning bakery here in Geelong, and now they produce my granola. So it's my recipe and it's still Mamacino granola and we still use all the beautiful amazing ingredients that I've always used in the past. Um, they just make it for me um, on a larger scale and we sell it throughout Victoria in different supermarkets and whole food stores um, and it's available online as well through my website. So, yeah, I, we. I'm just – Absolutely blown away by the response to the Matino granola, and so grateful to be working in collaboration with um, a bakery that's so like minded you know it's a small family business, and they are so put so much love and care into the way they produce food so for me it's just it's so exciting, and i can't wait to see where it's going to go in the future
0: love it, love it i can't wait to see where it goes either. <laughs> Kristen, thank you so very much for taking the time out to chat with us today. Um, I know that the people listening have probably learned heaps um, and it, it really has been a pleasure. I'm bloody hungry now, though. I'm going to have to come <laughs> fix myself a snack.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Thanks for having me, Jules. I really appreciate it. It's been great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much, hon.
1: Okay, bye. Bye.
0: What a fun chat that was with the awesome Kristen from Mama Chino. There were certainly loads of insights and takeaways there. Did it make you hungry? Now, if you like what you heard here, don't forget, subscribe, and then I will appear in your podcast app every single week. How cool will that be? And if you want a free whole food recipe mini ebook, head to julesgalloway.com right now, and you can be cooking yummy, healthy meals in no time. Stay tuned. Next week, we hear from another awesome health and wellness person. I hope you'll join me. Till then, stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives